Do you have a five-year-old boy who just sleeps way too much and is cheery all the time? Is Carrie or Cujo or It probably a little too advanced for him? If so, have we got the best way to keep your kid from sleeping for the rest of their lives, or at least going through to adulthood with any semblance of mental stability? And it's okay, because it's all about God. That's right. Today we're talking about Christian, we don't know what to call it. Is it horror? Is it a thriller? Is it spiritual warfare? Is it scripture? Either way, your children will never sleep again. Or forgive you. (laughs) This is the book report. All right. Um, I just fun (laughs) that I know you're sitting on the other side doing whatever it is you do while you're waiting for me in complete silence. And you have no idea when I'm going to join. And then the software doesn't tell you that I've joined. So I can do pretty much whatever I want. Yeah. Um, it just said sitting in green room and I was Googling, I was like, what does that do? Do I have to do anything? I've never seen that happen. Mm -hmm. And as I'm on another screen, Steven decides to whistle loudly into my ear as the first sign that he's present. It was great. I regret nothing in the decisions I've made to bring me to this point in my life. I regret everything that is Steven's life. Well, man, that hurts. The only (laughs) other person who ever told me that was my mom. Jeez. Oh, my God. Give me one second. I just had the heater kick on for some reason, and it's like 70 degrees here, so it's going to mess up the recording. Heater. Yeah, I gotta figure out why that happened in a minute. I don't know. So I'm a little frustrated that there's a character limit for my screen name on this. Yeah, what is it? It says Sundaya? No, it says Sunday AM Potball because this morning um, I went and played some disc golf at a park downtown. Mm. Which was fine, except there was a very large group of people who were playing basketball at the park while smoking weed at 9 a.m. on a Sunday while playing basketball. As you do. I see nothing wrong with this. Do you? I want to go play potball now. Do you? Because I think that like uh, most normal people don't engage in strenuous activity when they're smoking weed. That's fair. I I don't think that my mind associates strenuous activity and marijuana usage together. I mean, you're not wrong. I imagine a giant, giant, like one of those five pound jugs of cheese puffs. And like, that's it. (laughs) That's it. That's literally it. Well, um, playing the part of conservative um, marijuana, fever fears what was that called um reefer madness, reefer madness is, yeah in 1950 or whatever it was <laughs> is stephen reese i didn't say i was afraid of it <laughs> i said i don't associate strenuous activity and pot smokers together yeah but i think it's more fun to paint you as a reefer madness proponent you know what i'm fine with that i'll be the conservative <laughs> on this talk show <laughs> They tend to make more money, so I have that's no actually this. sadly true. No, that's um, good. Know your yeah. market. 
playing whatever role I decide to play later this episode is me, Joel Dean. Welcome to the book report. The gay New York liberal. Oh my gosh, I'd love to be in New York right now. Would you? Right I now? Think so. Really? I feel like I would have already gotten my vaccine if I was in New York. No, probably not. Most of New York is vaccinated. Nah, already. they used most of the vaccine to kill people in nursing homes. I see. Right. And plant all the... Um, As Andrew Cuomo uh, was feeling them up. <laughs> it's been a hell of a year for him. He's just groping and vaccinating all these old people. Yeah. That's what I heard in the news anyways. I love this picture. <laughs> in one one hand, he's using to, uh, you know, vaccinate. The other hand, he's like awkwardly stroking the Emmy he won for his COVID response. Oh, and then man. he's using his feet to feel people up. Oh, his feet. That's somehow the most disturbing part of all of that. I just assume he's a foot guy. He looks like a yeah, foot guy. I mean, he, yeah, you're not wrong again. <laughs> I'm pretty right on those things. Knocking it out of the bark today. Mm-hmm. So I got my uh, stimulus check back, or it's pending, and I've been needing to buy a new vacuum cleaner. And uh, so I went to the store today and bought a vacuum cleaner, um, three different kinds of like lawn fertilizer and grass seed, and a new um, sprinkler. And I've had the most adulting afternoon of my life, cleaning my house and like trying to fix my lawn for this spring, which is just very weird. Good for you. It was strange. I don't really like it, but I really do enjoy my clean house and hopefully good lawn this summer. Well, you so, live in yeah. Oklahoma, so unless you've figured out how to grow grass out of clay, I mean, eh, fair. It's not going to well, go well for you. Like I put a bunch of like uh, last summer, I was tired of these giant weed things, so I put a bunch of weed killer like stuff on it it was like fertilizer weed killer stuff on it and then there was these giant blank patches in my yard where there was no grass just weeds um so since then i've tried everything to get grass to grow in these blank spots nothing happened then we had ice storms and there was giant trees piled up in my front yard and when the city came around and took them all they had like claw machines that they were picking up so there was just holes in my front yard where mm -hmm. these claw machines mm -hmm. dug out so my lawn is this strange patch of complete nothing dirt piles, um, dead grass from the previous lawn, and bright green spatches where something I did took root, and there's actual grass there. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Have you considered a rock garden? I would love to do that if it was a rent house and I was allowed to. I would just tear up the entire lawn and put rocks everywhere. That's fair. That is completely fair. Yeah. All right. Anyways, instead of this isn't a podcast about lawn maintenance or adulting 101, although we should do that or at least listen to a podcast on adulting 101. I'd be enjoying I would enjoy that. I can't Can we that. not call it adulting? That's a stupid phrase. Okay, what should we call it? I'm sure our spin-off podcast be. Just being an adult. Being an adult. I hate that much worse. We got Adulting 101 sounds like I'm some annoying 26-year-old something who's like lol omg i'm out of my own house and pay my own bills this is so weird okay no, let's find a middle know. ground between the two of those how to how to live how to not die how to not die i actually right. like that one a lot it's better right tune in someday when we create the how to not die podcast just kidding we will never do that <laughs> wow that was <laughs> shot to the stars and fell to the fell to earth 
<laughs> this, this is, however, part three of our Christian Lit episodes. Um, and as I've said every episode, I hope you hear the implied air quotes, especially this episode, because we're going to talk about some things that I don't even consider even close to literature or really Christianity. But um, depends on what out. circles you run in. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Today we're talking Christian horror. I don't know why. Welcome to the dark side. (laughs) That's why. No, that was good. I like the welcome to the dark side. (laughs) Yeah. So, if you're not a, um, if you didn't grow up in this environment, this evangelical Southern Baptist, whatever Southern area. Christian culture environment. I didn't grow Maybe. up in that, so I'm not sure what you're talking about. I said evangelical. You're kind of in that. Are Methodists considered evangelicals? No, not really. Oh, okay. Well, considered I said mainline Protestants. Gotcha. If you didn't grow up in mainline Protestant or evangelical Christian culture, nah. Let's let's reframe this. If you didn't grow up in the '90s, okay, sure, why not? <laughs> um, and you have no idea what the hell we're talking about today hell. because the words yeah, Christian. I see or, what you're saying. Yeah, I think I see. You can't comment on it or it loses the, like, I don't I'm know. I'm going to keep commenting. Continue. <laughs> the terms, the two-word phrase Christian whore seems nonsensical to you. Um, you're not alone because when we sat down and decided to talk about what we were going to do for Christian Lit, we had to start with Left Behind. And then we quickly realized that a lot of the books we remember that were Christian books promoted to us um, and that we read were strangely all horror novels, and there's an entire massive appeal, for some reason, of Christian horror books, which is just bizarre. Okay, I'm going to stop pausing and assuming Steven's going to jump in. Um, That's a good call, because I said I wasn't going to comment anymore. Uh, just period? You're just not going to talk the rest of the episode? Correct. Episodes? Continue. <laughs> That at all. Don't put too much on me. No, you got this, buddy. <laughs> God, Flying yeah. solo. Dropping you out of the nest. Uh, I don't like this. Um, Fly, little birdie. <laughs> for some reason, this makes me more nervous than the first episode when we were talking about Left Behind and I hadn't read them. Um, yeah, what the heck were you even thinking there? Whatever. Continue. There, was, there was no way not to talk about Left Behind, and I'd only read the kids' books, so we had to start there. But, yeah. Anywho, disappointing human. So uh, Christian horror is is a thing. Uh, the hallmarks of this genre are some of the big names like Frank Peretti and Ted Decker, um, who range from writing books that are like really clever. And if you didn't know any better, wouldn't it be classified even as Christian books to, oh, my God, how did anyone publish this? That's the worst thing anyone's ever put onto paper. And it's so over the top, it makes you want to vomit. Um, and pretty I much think, everything in between. And I, Well, to kind of comment on that, I think the way that they got published is they aren't... If you are a person who's picking these books up, they're not actually marketed to anyone as Christian horror. They are framed as like spiritual warfare books. Yeah. Is yes, usually the, the framework and the way that they introduce a lot of their themes. So it's not like... I don't know, some crazy undead thing comes out of the ground and starts offing people left and right or, you know, serial killers stalking. It's usually like the powers of darkness are influencing people and it causes general mayhem. Right. Very much so. For those of you who have never read any of these books. 
I think we should do like alternate back and forth on because I have some that would I would put in this genre that I would still encourage people to read because I thought they were actually really good. Um, and then obviously we need to talk at length about some of the disasters that come out of this. Um, so maybe we should alternate good and bad. We can if you want to. I didn't read a lot of these because I didn't find them enjoyable. Okay. Personally, I, you know, they were weird. Um, they bordered on just like creepy and for a impressionable young kid who should not have been introduced to this section of the library. <laughs> right. That's one thing that's weird about all of this. Yeah. Is that it's like there's so many things that were introduced to me through these books that I was not old enough to like experience. Like I was not old enough to know about some of this stuff. And yet, um, my parents who policed every piece of media we watched saw that it was written by Frank Peretti, a Christian author and was like, Oh yeah, cool. No big deal. <laughs> Have fun with him. Yeah. And we've talked about that whole phenomenon before with, um, don't read Harry Potter. Here's a John Grisham novel. Yeah. You know, that's a very common thing. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but hey, hey that's yeah. happened. That's fine. Well, let's start with, well, the name we've dropped four times, Frank Peretti. Um, interesting guy. Very, very interesting guy. On the one hand, he wrote books that I still love to this day, The Cooper Kids Adventures. Did you read any of those? No. Okay. This was a series of books that uh, was most similar to like Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew ripoffs, but they were about um, the teenage or middle school age uh, kids of uh, something Cooper, a biblical archaeologist. And so these were like just adventure mystery books where these kids were traveling around with their dad uh, to dig sites and um, archaeological finds around the world that like like backed up biblical stories. And they were insanely fun. I remember them being very fun. I remember them being cool because they were they felt like Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew books, but about Bible stuff. And so I was like, that's cool. That's fun. Um, so you get all of those, and there's a whole lot of them. And they get bizarre sometimes. Uh, and normal uh, Christian Republican bad guys are usually the bad guys in this book. So... Um, environmentalism was often a bad guy in those stories for some reason. Uh, <laughs> yoga was once a bad guy. I don't understand why. But Listen, like, I can get behind yoga being a bad guy because <laughs> it is technically from another religion. The whole environmentalism thing, how do you turn that into a bad guy? It, oh, no. They're creating green energy. Those like, monsters. I, I we must you, stop them. Yeah, I swear to you Quick, there was a... Blow up an oil tanker in the bay. Drown the penguins. Yes. In one of the Cooper Kids adventures, I swear to you, a like group of like environmentalists, like um, environmental uh, eco-terrorists were the main villain. And like an, I, I think it was either an oil baron or something like that was like the good guy. Uh, and he had discovered something that like backed up um, Noah's Ark or something. And so he was the good guy. He was preserving this, but the eco-terrorists are trying to destroy it and discredit him. And it was just like, what? But otherwise, they were fun books. Terrible moral lessons, but interesting reads. And then you get the present darkness, piercing the darkness, house and the prophet and those books, which he's more well known for. Yeah. And this present darkness is the one book I have read by him, um, which I did make it all the way through and immediately decided this is not for me. <laughs> well, 
Well, why don't you go over, because I've read one of them. I can't remember if I read Pierce, Present Darkness or Piercing the Darkness, but I read one of them, and then I read The Prophet, and those are the only two adult books of his I've read. Yeah. So, um, so Frank Peretti came out of the Assemblies of God churches, which means like there's a pretty hefty focus on demonic forces that have actual power to influence the physical world. Um, so that's, that's kind of what's going on with this book. Um, all I, from, from my recollection, it basically starts off as kind of a, a normal, like mystery, essentially. Um, there's this lady who is a reporter. She gets, um, arrested on prostitution charges, even though she's not a prostitute. So that was kind of weird. Um, so she's falsely arrested on prostitution charges. Um, and then it starts off this like investigation into that, which quickly unfolds into this realization that there's some really super weird stuff going on in the city because, um, the like town is being taken over by what's basically like the, like a new age spirituality group. I forget what they're called, but it's something like universal church of something. So like um, a culty group. Yeah, kind of. I'm sure it's just based off of like the, the universalist church, like everything's fine. Believe in whatever you want. All paths lead to God is probably what it's playing off of. Um, and what was that? They're called the Unitarians. That group, well, Something like that. It's not that group, but it's, probably based off of that but as as they go through this investigation um the like pastor of one of the churches in the town basically somehow finds out there are a ton of demons in the town mm. um so then now. what was that i said this is starting to sound familiar now yeah and as soon as he like starts to figure that out and um play off like start to try and fight all of this uh, the demons go to the Universalist Church uh, and basically get the pastor falsely arrested for rape. Um, oh. So, you know, this book goes all over the board. Um, That's something that um, I, I had to look up a plot description of the prophet to make sure I was remembering everything correctly. Because yeah. that's something he does in his more adult books is it runs the gambit. Everything you could possibly – it's like a who's who's list of – Seven Bad Deadly guys. Sins. Yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's got them all in there somehow. Yeah, yeah it's it's all over the board. Um, so, like, to go... I'm, I don't know if you wanted me to summarize the entire plot oh, keep of this going. book. Yeah, this is interesting. That's kind of the thing, right? It's just all over the board and bonkers. But basically, um, he's in prison. And so him and another guy start to compare stories. And they're like, oh, man, did you realize this is happening? Yeah. Oh, these demons are crazy. And they the the story starts to become more and more like um i don't know otherworldly essentially so the first part of the book it really does focus on like we're investigating the strange happenings in a small town it's almost stephen king-esque and then as you get towards the latter half of the book um you start to like see the angels and the demons who are actually fighting over the town and all of this and the thing that like really sticks out to me is that the the demon eventually is like I don't remember if he's possessing this woman or if it's just like heavily influencing her and she is like being influenced by the demon to try and stab herself like kill herself 
and then the preacher or someone rushes in and wrests the dagger away from her and saves her life um yeah it gets really dark Uh, maybe this isn't the one i I remember the like demons and fighting over the like literally fighting angels over the top of the city yes yeah i remember that that, part or maybe that's in the second book too but i remember that specifically happening no yeah the the whole like spiritual combat part of this book ranges from like one demon against one angel versus like entire armies just attacking mm-hmm. each other above in the sky above this little town. Um, and I don't know where this town is supposed to be. It felt like new England, but I don't know if that's true or not. Um, and then uh, I don't remember what the conclusion of this story is <laughs> at all. Lovely. I have no idea how it ends. I feel like it ended on an upbeat, like Christ conquers all motif. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, how you should probably end a Christian book. Um, but that's, that's basically how I recall most of it. And I think it's pretty close. I probably missed some of the major details, but this book like scarred itself into my brain. Right. That's Um, how this, that's how the prophet was for me. And I'll do a briefer version of that in a second. Yeah. But like, he's thought of as a Christian horror author how does this present darkness and piercing the darkness like? How do they convey horror? Is it just through the um, demonic warfare, or is there actual like scary moments? Because I know Ted Decker, who we'll talk about in a minute. Like they're actually they're paced as if they're horror novels. Like there's an evil and they're it's killing people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm not well versed in horror books as a general rule, but I would say. The, the scariness of these novels comes from the fact that everything that's happening to this city isn't something that normal people, air quotes, um, can do can anything about. Do okay. Yeah, they can't see it happening. They don't even really know it's happening. Like everything that these people are doing, they think is just normal. And then you have like the preacher who can tell that these are demons seeing the demons like influencing people and convincing them to do x y or z so it's like you have to be one of the select few who knows that this is a spiritual battle to know why creepy things are happening in a town essentially be able to do anything about it too right which again kind of plays into his like pentecostal background and the Mm -hmm. idea of like having spiritual gifts and all those sorts of things um well speaking of yeah yeah spiritual gifts uh that's the concept of the prophet it is uh, the whole story is framed, and the reason I read it, because I had read all of his Cooper kids, and I started to believe I wanted to be a reporter, um, and the prophet is uh, – the whole book is from the point of view of a um, broadcast reporter, like the, the lead anchor of the small-town news station. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think it's going to be you know, the news is going to expose some great evil. No, the news is 100% the big bad. Like um, <laughs> the media Oh, so is, real life. Got it. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. Um, so he's, his dad dies, the main character's dad dies, and then he starts getting like prophetic visions and he can see the future and stuff. Um, it's been passed on to him and he was like estranged from his dad and estranged from the church and all this stuff, obviously. And this is how he gets back to the church. Uh, and he starts investigating, um, because his dad was a pastor who led all kinds, like his big thing was, um, leading anti-abortion protests. Um, and he started investigating his dad's death and finds that his dad was murdered by, I believe, like by the abortion pro- proponents or maybe just by the governor's goons because the governor the governor is just a liberal governor. So he's like pro-gay rights and pro-choice and uh, pro-environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Again, environmentalism was kind of a bad guy. Um, uh, and 
so the governor's goons killed his dad because his dad was leading abortion protests. And then he finds out that the governor's daughter was killed by an abortion clinic because abortion clinics in this book are like factories. Like literally like they, uh, there, there's a whole passage. I remember them being about, and this is how I thought abortion clinics were for the longest time because of this book is that they, they're pressured to do as many abortions as possible by political influences and by how much money you get per each abortion. So they try to do as many as possible. And they literally lie to young girls and tell them they're pregnant just so they can perform an abortion on them, even when they don't need it, just so they can get the money. Um, and they do like 30 at a time all at once without sterilizing equipment in between. And so sometimes things go wrong. And in one of the cases where things went wrong, they accidentally killed the governor's daughter, but he's still like very much on their side and covering it up. Um, and then, so that's all going on. That's the main story. He's investigating that. In the meantime, he's getting all these prophetic visions and knows the truth behind other news stories he's being asked to report. And in one of them, um, like a gay pride group like trashes and just destroys this Catholic church and then holds a protest the next day against um, the Pope's insistence you can't use condoms. Um, and during that, like uh, he, he was upset because his bosses made them cover the protest, but not the trashing of the church um, because that's not good enough news. And the news has a very obvious liberal bias. Um, so during the interview, he starts getting prophetic visions of this person who led the interview or led the uh, protest that um, this person has. Uh, he, he starts getting questions that God is telling him to ask this gay man. And one of them is, uh, isn't it true that, uh, and I very distinctly remember this, um, he says, isn't it true that despite the fact that you led this protest against um, the Pope for not using condoms, you have had hundreds of sexual partners and in which, and none of which you use pr um, protection? And it was like, what? God is giving this man visions of this dude's sex life? That's that's what you're telling me, Frank Peretti? Um, so yeah, things like that happen. And then he finally uncovers the whole story, reports it. And then his, it's revealed that his boss also had an abortion when she didn't want to when she was younger. And so she kills the story before it gets on air. And that's and then the book ends with him, like, making up with his own estranged son and passing on the prophet power to him. And, like, the whole thing was just framed as um, the media is controlling everything you hear and think. Um, and it was it, massive portions of the book were given over to explaining how the news works and talking about how green screens and um, B-roll footage and that kind of stuff is deceptive. And all of it just read like, this is how just the news works. Like that's not deceptive practices. That's just how they film things. Like, what are you talking about? And it was very strange. I'm I, So yeah. the, the big problem I have with these books is like, on the one hand, you are completely entitled to your worldview and, you know, if you are a Christian author and you're writing about, you know, uh, spiritual warfare, a lot of these themes that you're mentioning are probably going to come up. The issue I start to have with it, though, is that, um, like, when you are writing a, a a novel with, like, a Christian audience in mind, the people who read these books tend to take them as, uh, like, addendums to scripture in a lot yes. of ways. So, you know, you get the same thing when you're reading like uh, Christian allegory with C.S. Lewis, you, uh, 
almost unconsciously port over the things you're reading from the Lion, the Witch, and the Royal Robe onto your understanding of Christianity and vice versa. Um, and that's one of the things I know has been or was kind of an issue with um, like Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness series is that a lot of it, it's the same issue really that people have with the Left Behind stories. People t- end up taking Peretti's books as like manuals on prayer and spiritual warfare, which is not what you should be doing with fiction. Right. They're um, fiction. Right. Yeah. So like if you if you want to write a story about the media being a bad guy, that's completely fine because that's a James Bond plot line in yeah. um, whatever it is. That's, Pretty, I, like, you know, that's, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, I think. Yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, so that's fine. You can do that. And I think there are a lot of reasonable um, points you can make with that. Uh, the issue is that these books are not taken as fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the biggest issue with these is these books are incredibly graphic in ways that they probably shouldn't be based on their audience. Um, They are incredibly influential to the people who read them because like you, you are told by your preacher, especially if you are in any type of um, holiness movement church, you are told by your preacher that spiritual warfare exists. But if you go and you read the Bible, you're not really going to find much evidence of that mm-hmm. outside of like one or two vague stories. And so what you end up doing internally is you start looking for confirmation that spiritual warfare is real and you start looking for accounts of it. And then you pick up a book like this and you think, oh, this must be what this is actually like in real life. And that starts to frame your worldview and it starts to change how you look at things, even though there is no scriptural or tradition um, depending on which branch of Christianity you're from that actually attests to this being how things work. Same with the left behind books. Like, yeah. Is there an element of apocalypticism in the Bible? Sure. Is it the same apocalypticism that comes out of the left behind series? Not even close, (laughs) but you wouldn't know it going into a church that has encouraged people to read these Mm -hmm. things. It's a lot of, Christian literature that we're talking about is as if somebody had read the Bourne trilogies, the original trilogy. We don't need to talk about the other books. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's this, as if somebody read that and decided that actually happened 100%. Something like Treadstone existed. There are um, sleeper cells that are alive today that are created by our own government that um, – they can completely erase your personality and they will kill your wife if you do the wrong thing. Like take that completely literally. And there are people who take stuff like that completely literally. Yeah, that's how you get we QAnon them, and conspiracy yeah, theories. We call them conspiracy theories and yeah. QAnon. Most people don't take it real except that when you come to Christian lit, most people who read them take them as literal. And, and my point is like with that to that point, I don't think that the people who are reading these books who are Christians do it intentionally. Yes. I don't think that they go into these books looking for greater truths. I just think that because it aligns with what they're taught in a church, that it is like an accidental pulling this thing into your worldview. Yeah. Like I remember hearing a preacher, it wasn't my pastor. It was like on a mission trip or something. A pastor talked about, cause it was right after the, um, right after Whoa. the Dan Brown books got really big. I remember a pastor uh, doing a whole sermon on how these are fun reads. They're very interesting, but you shouldn't take them literally and you shouldn't take them as fact. Right. If a pastor had just done that with 
every single one of these like super famous Christian horror books, I feel like we'd be a better place as our country right now. But that's uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I I'd agree with you. And, but I will say like I know a lot of people who are um very much involved with churches that are very similar to the assemblies of God. So you get all of the like, you know, slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues, all of that. And um to them these the way the world works is how it's presented in these books. Yeah. Um you know, uh and their their pastors encourage it. Um, and I don't really know how you, uh, how you, you work against that. that. You just got to have some deconstructionism going on, but let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on to, um, Ted Decker, who is, I just have in our little document. uh, I don't think Steven's on the document right now, but in our little document, I just have Ted Decker and then in parentheses, oh my God, Ted Decker. (laughs) Okay. I'm excited. I have a strange relationship with this author. He's one of the authors that, you know, when you read something you really like and you go ahead and read everything else they've ever written. So I read this book, um, three by him that I thought was really interesting. This pretty cool psychological thriller that had some very light touch Christian elements. And I was like, that's so cool. I love this story. It was a murder mystery. Like this guy gets targeted by a, um, uh, a bomber, um, who calls him when he's in his car driving somewhere and tells him he has 30 minutes to call the local uh, radio station, like the local NPR, confess his deepest sin, or he's going to blow up this car. And then the guy, the guy escapes the car getting blown up, but then this person continues stalking him and keeps calling him and telling him he needs to confess his sin, or he's going to blow up this school building or this whatever. And he keeps like detonating bombs all over the city and kills some people and the main character has no idea what he's talking about, what he needs to confess, and that's part of the mystery. And then you start getting um, – later in the book, you start getting point of views from the bomber who's like obsessive about this. And it's just a really interesting story. I don't want to spoil it because like it's not the best by any means, best like a crime story. I don't know how to classify it, thriller, but it's really interesting, and I love that read. And I was like, I want to see what else this person has written. And then I picked up Adam, and this is the one I like actually recommend. I loved this book. It scared the crap out of me, but I loved this book. Nice. Um, it's uh, about a um, it's about a, a FBI criminal psychologist, like a like a profiler, um, who is on the hunt for this serial killer known as Eve. Get it, Adam and Eve. Um, no, can you explain it? Well, you see, when the first man and the first woman loved each other very much, mm-hmm. um, and they lived in this this garden, um, right. they they ate some fruit that most people say is an apple, but it's most definitely a pomegranate, um, mm-hmm. based on just you know history and Jewish tradition. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, they fucked, um, and then that's how all of humans exist. Mm-hmm. I what? mean, I yada 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 over some stuff, but yeah, that's what that's 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 how we get people. <laughs> mm. Anyway, you say so. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. <sighs> okay, so this serial killer known as Eve is, um, and they they call them the serial killer Eve because it just keeps writing Eve uh, on the walls in the blood of the victims every time mm-hmm. it kills these young women, um, and Eve has killed like 16 women, all who have died like. Um, 
like like viral infections and mm-hmm. they're all in like basements or or uh caves or cellars or like um storm shelters like some underground uh thing so he's like doing all this it's going through like a criminal minds episode him them trying to figure out the profile of this killer and why he's doing it and what's going on and the whole thing is presented to you at least when i first read it as if it was real because every few um every few chapters there's a chapter break that is a long form magazine article about the killer like after the fact like it's this person's okay. been caught and been in prison and now they're telling his life story so you're reading chronologically the detective or the FBI agent's story and then you keep getting cuts with okay he catches the guy and it's telling you about him and the point of the book is the deeper and deeper it goes the more and more it's like it takes an obsessive mind to no one to catch a serial killer you got to get inside their head and the okay. more and more your main character starts um, becoming like the serial killer. Like he starts embodying things he doesn't even know the serial killer also did when he was going through the same parts of life. And it's just a really good, interesting thriller. And of course there's some supernatural elements into it. And the serial killer, um, uh, part of his backstory is he went through seminary and he was kicked out of seminary because he didn't believe in God, but he wanted to get ordained because he still wanted to help people. But mm-hmm. he realized at some point he didn't believe in God, and that's kind of what broke him um, when he was kicked out of seminary. Um, but the whole thing is a very interesting story. It's a really cool murder mystery. I could have done away... Uh, I could have done... Yeah, I could have done without some of the supernatural elements in it, but it's still so much fun, and I love the story. Uh, and so after those two books, I was like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm reading everything he's written. I love it. Yeah. Almost everything else he's written is absolute trash. Like I don't understand wow. how he got okay. like it's just so bizarre. Really he wrote your punches there. I don't okay. understand. He wrote House with Frank Peretti, this like dual horror movie about a, a book about a haunted house that they did okay. make into a movie. Okay. He um wrote black, white, red, green, um, that are all part of a series. And this is where you find out quickly reading through some of these that Ted Decker really, 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 really wants to be um, a uh, guy who wrote the, the big horror novel guy. Why can I not think Stephen of this King? Oh, thank you. I don't just uh-huh. my mind blanked right there. He so, really wants to be Stephen King. Okay. Um, because all of his individual um, horror novels, things like, and I've read most of these, things like Skin and Adam and Saint, Showdown, Blink, uh, Three, uh, Kiss, Obsessed, all of these books um, suddenly are tied together by this trilogy, Red, White, and Black. Um, or Black, White, and Red. I don't know what order they go in, but they're called The Circle. And in those books, he ties together his multiverse of all of his novels. Only well, it's not a multiverse. It all takes place in the same world, inexplicably. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets super political in the middle of the books. Uh and there's one in the book Green, there's actually a bunch of like good people who storm the Capitol. Um, this came out in like 2009, but like Christian good people are storming the Capitol, and that actually happened this past year. Um, I say Christian good people, but people who think they're Christian good people. Uh, and so the books just suddenly, like in retrospect, get so watered down and terrible by him forcing them into the same universe as this spiritual warfare, these books that control other people, bullshit, nonsense narrative. 
So I don't understand how to recommend him because of the larger picture. But if you can okay. separate, you know, art from artist, I think three and Adam are both actually well put together. And especially Adam is a really good book, but Oh my God, so, the rest of this stuff is terrible. <laughs> what I would say is it might depend on which, uh, I don't know, collection you're reading because Wikipedia breaks his stuff down into different collections. So you have the circle series, which you said was terrible. Um, you have the paradise series, the lost book series, the books of mortal series. The ones that you said you liked were all part of his just thrillers. Um, that don't belong to anything else. And I was looking through a couple of those just to see how they were received. And a lot of them people seem to like. Um, the Bride Collector, which I don't know what that's about, but uh, okay, it one, is one. on NPR's list of top 50 thrillers of all time. Oh, wow. So it might just really depend on what he's writing, um, depending on how how his stuff is. Um, I'm going to be honest, I will literally never read any of these books because I don't like um thrillers i don't like horror i don't like like honestly i think i can probably tie it back to reading this present darkness i read it when i was a little kid because it was on my parents bookshelf i thought it was going to be fine because my parents are very straight-laced people it was not it was very much not i think i should probably go see a therapist about that book because <laughs> it was scary everyone should go see a therapist for something seriously therapy is great go do it um sure. this episode brought to you by out. better better help or what's the yeah anyway i think it's just called better like the app where you can get a therapist but seriously if you're thinking about going seeing a therapist take this as you know this is the sign everyone should go see a therapist (laughs) i'm unlicensed but you can talk to me about your problems for like 35 bucks an hour yeah well that's the thing is i'll listen if if adam and three and uh, chosen and all of those had been, or uh, I guess chosen and the circle were planned kind of to be together. But if they had all been planned as part of the giant narrative, or if you went the Stephen King route and made it a multiverse or something like that, all of those things would have worked. But in green, it's literally called the beginning and the end, the circle number zero. Um, in green, he decides to like literally try to link every book he's ever written, like give a shout out Mm. to every book he's ever written, somehow wrap them together and put them in it. And it just cheapens all of his other works. Like it just makes them terrible in by forcing them into this very political story. Um, Yeah. And like very political story about the apocalypse, of course. Like, so it was just very annoying. Yeah. Well, and I think that one of the things Listen, I think you can do Christian literature um, correctly. I think it has been done correctly. I think, though, Mm -hmm. that a lot of Christian authors try very, very hard to put their Christian themes into their books in a way that's not going to get overlooked. Um, Whether it's like a Christian theme of love each other or a Christian theme of the end of the world is coming, get ready. Um, And I, I think that they need to resist that. I think that you're audience is generally smart enough to pick up on what you're trying to do if you're doing it subtly and the the books that suck are the ones where you are just beating your reader over the head with whatever your theme happens to be Mm -hmm. and that's not just christian literature that's literally any book but i think that a lot of christian authors tend to do it um as almost an unwritten rule of being published as a christian author yeah yeah you have to be able to like you have to i feel like they think they have to write down to their audience you're not going to get it um, yeah, and it's it's also hard because I know when I was a kid, I used to get um, like 
I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like a, a magazine that was for Christian teens. Um, the, uh, what was it called? The, I, I think it was called Breakout or maybe that was the girl's version. No, the boy's version was called Breakout. The girl's version was Brio. But um, interesting. Yeah. So every once in a while, though, they would have like uh, write in contests where they would write the first part of a story and then you could write your ending to it. And if it was good enough, they would publish it as the ending. So gotcha. um, I remember one time I tried to do that. And so I wrote out my ending and I thought it was really good. And I ran it by my parents. Um, and uh, they were like, they told me, hey, listen, this is great, but um, your main character is a Christian. Do you think that they should be lying in the story? Because basically the guy was trying to get out of prison. And so he like told a lie to help someone. Um, and like, as a little kid, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Can't lie. He has to be a perfect human being. Okay, mm -hmm. scrap it. So I think that's another problem is that the expectations of your your protagonist are unrealistic. They yeah. have to be not even like superheroes. They have to be literal. They, they literally what, yeah. have to be exactly the same as Jesus to pass muster. Yes. And, and that is a, hard okay. to write convincingly. And that's why a huge section of Christian lit, you can, you can basically chalk it up to this is a Christian book, is if they start out agnostic or like have fallen away from the church, and by the end they're literally Jesus again. Like right. they have to come back to the church, and that's the only way you can write a flawed character is if they've, um, they've yeah. backslidden or something. And it's yeah. like that's not you. You can have flawed people like what what you can have people that lie or you know eat too much. Like you can have problems. Like I don't understand what. Yeah. 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 And so I think that's just another problem that makes it hard to write convincing Christian lit. Mm -hmm. um, because you're right. You you struggle to write any sort of a convincing character arc because you don't want your character to be so flawed. Because not not so much in like my specific upbringing, but there are a lot of um, denominations that think like as soon as you are saved, your, your entire life like turns on a complete dime mm -hmm. and you immediately lose all of the temptations and sins and everything that you used to do. And if you continue on in those behaviors, then maybe you're not as saved yeah, as you think real. you were. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's bad theology first <laughs> and foremost. Um, but a lot of people do believe that and that tends to work its way into their literature. Mm -hmm. Well, we have gone on for a while, but I have so many other things I wanted to mention in this section. So I kind of want to go through some stuff real quickly. Um, well, don't you let can, me stop you. You can jump in if you've heard of any of these or have questions. Sure. So we jumped over Frank Peretti books that I completely forgot about until I was looking up the titles of Ted Decker books just now. Did you read either of the Project Veritas books? Nope. Okay. First of all, I'm almost 100% positive the actual Project Veritas group that does the like horribly edited um, and taken out of context anti-abortion videos that got big early on in the Trump year and are now banned from YouTube. Um, no, no I'm idea what fairly certain Continue. they took the video that took the name from these books because okay. Project Veritas is a, I believe just two book series written by Frank Freddie written for like older, like it's young adult fiction. It's about a Christian family who are like, it's a family of spies that the government sends in to, solve problems and much more importantly gets to the truth of the matter um and there's two books it's the hangman's curse and uh, something academy um the nightmare academy okay so Pro Verit and it's called the veritas project um 
the Hangman's Curse and Nightmare Academy. Hangman's Curse was really, really good. I remember it being very interesting, if a little bit bizarre, but a very good story about, um, but super dark and very much a horror novel, but super dark for kids. But it's about a kid who killed himself at a school, and they send the family in to get to the bottom of it because other kids are dying now at the school, and they say they're being killed by the hangman's curse. Um, and it turns out like it's this whole plot about like these bullied kids are um, trying to summon demons to kill their bullies but really they're just plant uh they're planting or to curse their bullies but um really somebody is planting these poisonous spiders in their lockers to kill them it's like very dark crazy story for a kid's book but interesting and not terrible and then nightmare academy i'm fairly certain ruined the series because it jumped the shark um it's about a like liberal school that is um, teaching like independence and freedom of thought and stuff to the kids that uh, literally each school ends up having all like they, they make the kids so crazy that there's no such thing as truth because they're teaching you, you know, independent thought that the kids all end up killing each other and then they murder all the kids. But it's a proof oh, Lord of, of the Flies. Got it. Okay. Or mind Carry control. On. Like it's just mm -hmm. so bizarre. That book goes off the rails so quickly. But yeah, those two things exist. So I really want to know where people get their mindset that this stuff goes on or this is like the real problem because I think most well-adjusted people um, don't have these thoughts or these opinions or these beliefs. Right? And I mean well-adjusted people who are Christians. I think most, most, most Christian people don't think that free thought is a bad thing. Most Christian people don't think that, you know, going to a school is going to ruin you. This just sounds very much like someone who was raised in the quiverful movement or something like that. Yeah. Know? And the, the whole concept of the school, I remember being like, they kidnapped, um, they would like kidnap homeless children. They would bring them to this like school Academy in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then they would systematically destroy these kids ability to like, have a personality and have any kind of independent thought or anything because they would just teach them that there is no there's no like hard truth and it was like a proof of concept to sell mind control to people or to sell a new way of school like i can't remember what the end result or end goal charter of schools, these schools got it. were okay. yeah okay it was yep. so off the wall <laughs> okay this and guy then, sounds like he's got a screw loose to be completely yeah. honest <laughs> so those are some more frank Reddy books i forgot about um, and then we have uh, the reason we started this whole series uh, of Christian Lit, the Forbidden Doors um, books, uh, because I remember uh, I was listening to an episode of a different podcast, and I remembered these books distinctly, but couldn't think of the name of them, and that's what spawned this whole thing. They are written by uh, an author named Bill Myers, and they are – look at the covers. They look like they are um, – uh, they all came out in the 90s, and they look exactly like Goosebumps or um, uh, Hardy Boys covers books, and they're kind of a mixture of the two. And you're like, okay, these are fun. And then those books get insane so quickly. The kids go to literal hell um, at one point. Um, they, they're like – governed by and taught by this mysterious man on the internet that goes by z who emails mm -hmm. them like information all the time so q um, literally yeah. q and literally q. literally uh, q cool but i just wanted Very to cool. like I, I looked it up 
there's so many of these books. There are like 13 or 14 of the books in the original series. Um, and they have titles like The Spell, The Deceived, The Haunting, The Guardian, The Encounter, The Curse. So almost like Animorph-style titles. So really spoke to me. Like, these are books that I was, there was no way I was not going to read them. And now looking back, I'm like, how the hell did I read any of these? Yeah. So I just want you... I don't know. I feel like my standards were lower when I was younger. Yeah, apparently. I'm just going to read off the title, or not the titles, but the the main villain, the thing that was the evil that demons got into them via in each book in order. Because you'll notice a weird trend that is ridiculous to me. So it starts off, the first bad guy is Ouija boards, just in general. Ouija boards are the evil. The second is the teaching about reincarnation. The third is a straight-up youth sorcery cult. Like, Magic the Gathering becomes real. So I was with you on the first two, and then the third <laughs> one lost me. The first two, honestly, I'm like, you know what? Those do come from other religions. Carry on. The youth sorcery court. Okay, kids who were playing Dungeons and Dragons are not on my list of people to yeah, be worried about. Yeah, it was about, straight up, but like, continue. revamp Satanic Panic, that book. Then the next one is Dude, ghosts. the best thing about that group is that uh, I don't have to worry about the next generation, because there won't be one. Continue. <laughs> ghosts, haunted houses, and seances, like just yeah. Halloween. Um, crystals, just crystals. Um, not necessarily. No, those are those are evil because they take money from stupid people. You shouldn't <laughs> okay, do that. Yeah. Those people need help. Automatic writing. Um, creepy, but I think it's one of the coolest things in the world. I wish I could do it. Um, voodoo, vampires, rock bands, Native American culture, TV shows that feature magic. And then they round it all up with tarot cards. Mm-hmm. So they start out with, you know, other religious stuff or just, you know, concepts that are weird and easy mm-hmm. to pin. And, and like we've had modern horror movies recently have Ouija boards as the way the demons got you. Mm-hmm. All right. That's right. cool. Go off the wall for a bit with let's get it more magical and have this sorcery cult and, and straight up haunted houses and ghosts. And then let's get back to crystals are the, like the Satan is inside of a crystal in this book. And then he just lost his mind and forgot like what the point of these books were or whatever, and decided to write an entire book about automatic writing and how that's just channeling the devil. Um, do you know what automatic writing is? No. Okay. I don't. It's, it's, I, a, I've heard of it. I feel like it was a uh, Sherlock Holmes plot point at some point. Yeah. It's a pseudo scientific thing where the idea is if you um, just start scribbling on a piece of paper and then like get into a uh, a blank headspace, like meditate while you're like letting the pen touch paper. Uh, no, nah, yeah, this was things. definitely a plot point in some movie. Yes, at one point. it's a it's an idea that you it was a, it was in the newest Indiana Jones movie. Yes, it that's was. what it was. Yeah. That's what it's it was. This, it's this idea that you can you can get your subconscious to channel directly if you can blank your mind enough. Um, uh huh. Yeah, he wrote an entire book about how you're not actually just letting your subconscious write it. You're being possessed, and that's what's writing things. Um, sure. Yeah. Then the next two books openly start attacking, like, other cultures. With They mm-hmm. go to New Orleans, and the Catholic Church, and the Catholic voodoo, and just voodoo in general, which they, they don't do actual voodoo that, like, Catholic priests uh, and priestesses would, uh, like— you know how they meshed in the French Quarter and you have all those weird splinter groups of Catholicism and voodoo religions. Um, 
none that wasn't the attack. It was literal voodoo dolls. So it was like, let's go deal, like, be part of an interesting conversation. Nope, we're just going to attack voodoo dolls, which have nothing to do with Louisiana voodoo, actually. And then cool. vampires are real all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in course, like seventh right. book in the series or eighth book yeah. in the series. Mm-hmm. And then the next mm-hmm. book is rock music. Like there's rock music. Like straight up backmasking is real and rock musics are straight up uh, you know, part of the Illuminati and summoning sure. Satan. They're all giant rituals. Um and then not to be outdone by just attacking uh just one tiny area of the weird mesh mash of religion that is voodoo in the French quarter. They straight up go to an Indian reservation and tell all the natives that their religions are straight up evil. And there's no such, all, all their cultural gods are actually demons and they're worshiping them. Um, so that's, fun. I mean, that's like a pretty common <laughs> belief among most. Just like um, go to a reservation and yeah. tell them you're all worshiping demons. And it's like, first of all, I don't, yeah, we're not going to get into that. It's probably not going to like be your best evangelical tool, but it has been used in the past with some effect in some places. So yeah. your mileage may vary, I suppose. Yeah. And then the next two just like ran out of steam and went back to the original concept of attacking, you know, seemingly innocent things that are actually straight up evil, like TV shows that have magic in them at all, like Bewitched or right. I Dream of Genie. Like those are all. That's how Satan gets you. No, and then too bad. Ending. Jeannie was great. She was hot. Right. And then ending the whole series on tarot cards. That's your final big band of all the books is tarot cards. Yeah, you should have lined <laughs> these up a little bit differently. You definitely could have come up with something scarier than tarot cards. I can understand them making an appearance as well. But like, I Just don't know. That's not like over the know. place. Just know, so bizarre. And this very much seems like um so everything you're saying just sounds exactly like the beliefs of Pentecostal people that I know. Um, Mm -hmm. None of this honestly like has any shock value whatsoever because I've heard a lot of these arguments made by real people in real conversations before. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, whatever your, your level of or degree of belief about any of this is, is irrelevant because this is honestly like legitimately held beliefs by a not insubstantial yeah. portion of the United States. Yeah. And this one is just like all those things that you believe about this, we're going to make them very literal in this book, book series. Um, sure. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a trip. And I remember reading, I've read most of these, like reading the, I have distinct memories of most of these, even though I could not tell you the plot of a single one of the books, but I have memories of all of them. <laughs> cool. So cool. that's fair. Yeah, they ingrained on my head that all of these things are somehow evil, but I don't remember what the hell the story was about them. So <laughs> that's fun. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the entire list I wanted to bring up and um, uh, point out that uh, we shall be afraid of yoga because they're obviously portals to hell that will destroy our world. Um, I mean, how so, else do you, you been know, like that? You heard it here man. first. I don't <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. You look at how those dudes are bending, and there's something funky going on. Uh, I like the idea that yoga mats, like, you roll them out, and suddenly that's how you get to hell. <laughs> that It'd be a faster little... way to travel, that's Blaster. for sure. It's a, lot, it's a lot faster than a car. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there are people who can get to hell in a car a lot faster than you could via a yoga mat. Well, that's if you crash into a median, Joel, and that's, come on. 
or if you run over um, protesters. Oklahoma just passed a law in the House that said that's okay. There's no way. I don't believe you. I think you're you're uh, you're lying to me about this. The Oklahoma House of Representatives straight up just um, tried to or passed out of their chamber legalized manslaughter if somebody is um, impeding your vehicle. You can straight up run them over with no punishment. Oh, well, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there have been people I've wanted to like you know push out of my way with my car before. Yeah. Well. Um, Come to Oklahoma and run over whoever you want. Right, right. This, I mean, honestly, you guys could capitalize on this. So Germany has the Autobahn. You guys have sanctioned purging. So I, could, I think you could turn this into a tourism industry. <laughs> honestly. I'm in top 10 state. Am I right? We're going we're gonna to get this done. Right, right. <laughs> All right, guys. So if you see a crosswalk, gun it. <laughs> floor the gas see they what happens impeding. you i promise you will not get in trouble i know there's a cop right there he's actually videoing it to put it on youtube later mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> what's your state's motto let's see if we can work this into it Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Uh, we changed state our motto fairly recently motto. um to try to like drum up tourism imagine that it's inherently does, sarcastic okay. Your motto is labor omnia vincit. How is that going to make me want to go to your state? I don't know, but they tried to the, – the governor and the lieutenant governor, when they got into office, did this whole massive rebranding effort, which um, I could get in trouble for my job because I was technically a part of it. Uh, but we hired an outside – out-of-the-state firm, which why the heck would we hire an out-of-the-state marketing firm to, to help find us your own motto, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, they came up with a not terrible brand. Uh, it just seems okay. like we're ripping off um, Native American – Branding, which is okay, that's cool. That's We're fine. You have a lot native of native state. Like that's a state. thing. It just right. looks a little. It's just like <coughs> dumbs down version of that. Continue. But oh, oh, it's okay. It looks nice. That's not that big of a deal. And then they were like, and now our new slogan, which we're going to use in all the hashtags for all the videos we put out about this and all that stuff. They unveil it, and it's hashtag Imagine That. And immediately, okay. sure. everyone who's under the age of <laughs> fifty in the audience was like. Isn't that just inherently smartass and sarcastic? <laughs> like, right. how is what? How is that your best idea? And I, um, within an hour of being a part of that meeting with my job, was already tweeting super sarcastic things about our state government with the hashtag Imagine That. And I was part of the group that was supposed to be promoting this. So, so hey, you are increasing <laughs> awareness. So if I was doing that, you can imagine how everyone else who had just heard of this was using that immediately. Every time something bad happens in the state, every time um, three members of Congress that have nothing to do with Oklahoma, except that one of them was born here, unveil a resolution to honor the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre and nobody from Oklahoma that's in Congress has anything to do with it, including our senator who sits on the board of the Tulsa Race Massacre um, Memorial Project. Um, You tweet out, imagine that. Um, And it just mocks them. And yet no one thought of that while they were coming up with the slogan. So what's funny is that I actually looked this up on Twitter and your lieutenant governor tweeted something. And it sounds sarcastic. Yeah, it even does. if you're trying to make it real, it sounds sarcastic. It's, it's so, so funny. bad. It's so, so funny. So bad. They, they said, most diverse terrain in America. Imagine that. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It's Oklahoma. I don't believe you. I'm sorry. I mean, it's true, but that is not going to get the message across. Don't, I don't believe you. There's nothing you can say to convince me that is true. Exactly. Exactly. 
And the hashtag yeah. did not help. Yeah, it's so bad. So I have no idea funny. how we got to this. <laughs> Why are we yeah. ripping on my state right now? I, I'm enjoying it. I, I am enjoying it. I just don't remember how we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> you can see. Oh, it was about how you guys can murder people now. So oh, right, fun. right, right. Our crosswalks are safe. Hashtag imagine that. <laughs> well... Um, we have probably enough for one more episode, maybe more on Christian Lit before we get back to anything else. So tune in um, uh, next time to hear us talk about uh, what are we going to talk about next time, Stephen? I don't remember. I didn't we know had, we had more to talk about. We ha- oh we yeah, talk Christian, about the Bible, Christian nonfiction. So sure, the Bible, and then the Bible got it. Okay. Um, things like <sighs> the purpose-driven life and financial peace and other oh, this things. Will be fun. Yeah, let's do it. And some things we like, like Blue Like Jazz or anything by Rob Bell back in the day before he went crazy. Um, before he went nuts, yeah. yeah. That's a good time. <laughs> so, yeah. One more talk about nonfiction. Maybe we'll talk about The Shack, too, because we both had oh, some notes geez. on that, but we didn't know where to Can put that, it. <laughs> why didn't we include that in Christian horror? I wasn't oh, a horror, geez. was it? Uh, to be honest, it was like pretty was effed up. It was weird. Like, it was weird The main hell. plot point was un- comfortable no i'm not saying that wasn't a very strange book but i would not have classified it as horror you're right i wouldn't either but i don't know what else to classify it as like self-help but fictionalized i I don't it was a very strange book it's self-help for a very specific subset of people who have had their daughters murdered in a cabin yeah i don't really know who you're really writing this very strange like this book was written for the author and other people got something out of it i guess i don't know like Dude. whatever, we'll have to talk about that yeah. one at length later. Yes. We've been going on for an hour. Uh, that was like the number one book for every youth group it in America for a while, so which big. was also something. <sighs> something. I don't know. Well, yeah. So obviously, we have a lot more to say, but eventually, we'll get back to just recommending other reads to you. And after we get off this, I'm going to pitch an idea to Stephen that will be in the works for a while. We might get to, and it'll blow that. your tiny little mind. I thought for some reason I just like. I, I had a prophetic vision that you were going to say, blow your tiny little tits off. And I was just like, <laughs> Stephen, why are you attacking the size of our listeners' tits? That is uh, me. <laughs> I wasn't, so I'm glad you are. So for all of you listeners who are members of the Itty Bitty Titty Committee. <laughs> geez, Listen, it's been a very long week in which Clearly. the state voted to let us run over people. So Brought I'm to you by the Oklahoma <laughs> Tourism Board. Imagine that. <laughs> Um, you can follow us at Twitter at book underscore pod, Facebook at book report podcast and Instagram at the book report pod with underscores between each word. And you can email us at book report pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> Great. Good ending. Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess we're done. Can we stop filming now? Nope. We still got 10 seconds. Okay. Well, uh, y'all and take care. Okay. Bye now. Cut.